Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. Good morning, family, here and also on the interweb. Uh, We're glad to have you here as we continue in our series, Living the Resurrection. If I am a new face to you, I am Chris. I'm the interim pastor. And uh, yes, under this beard is the guy who used to work here years and years ago. Um, But it's great to be here again and, uh, yeah, be joining the team for this season. I'm very excited. Um, As we look at this uh, series, Living the Resurrection, uh, we're looking at the fullness of life, the freedom that we're invited to experience as We follow Jesus and we believe in his life, death, and resurrection. And to live walking in faith in Jesus is this invitation to be guided by God to to grow to be like Jesus, to to experience and display the fruit of the Spirit. And does anyone remember from last week what the fruit of the Spirit are? Um, Just shout them out. And you can write them in the chat if you're online. What, What are some of the fruit of the Spirit? Love. I heard love. Joy. Yeah, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. I think I heard gentleness in there too. That one always gets, uh, it, it hides, it's very gentle. And self-control, right on. You know, and, and really as we look at these, what an amazing list of attributes. These are the characteristics that are perfectly modeled in Jesus. And, uh, and I love that, you know, as we t- call them a fruit of the Spirit, it's such a tangible description and, and Pastor Matt, he gave us a, a bit of a picture last year how our lives, and they're actually in the Bible, were described kind of like trees. And so these aren't trees, but we're going to pretend they're trees, and we're going to pretend they can bear fruit. But um, we were looking at how, you know, we want to go maybe from this starting to grow, starting to uh, become a tree, to becoming a healthy, full plant or tree uh, as, as God works in us. And we know that... Um, there's ways that you will not bear fruit in your life. And one of those is we don't bear fruit in our lives by us yelling or talking and saying, grow, grow. It doesn't work, right? And, and we also know that uh, we're not going to, this, this little plant here isn't going to grow up to the, be like this plant just from mustering up enough strength. It can't just, you know, sit and get there and grow. No, when things grow, it's because an external source has given them what they needed. And so with plants, we're reminded that that source is, is light and water. They need those to grow. And that reminds us that we only grow, we only become what God created us to become when his provision comes into our lives, when he's the one who does the maturing of us. It's not about our effort. It's about our surrender to God's work in our lives. And yet while God makes things grow, we're still invited to be participants in what he's doing. Uh, we get to care for the soil that we're growing in. We get to train ourselves in our faith. We get to uh, identify things, you know, weeds in our lives that need to be picked out by the gardener, and we can ask God, the gardener, to take those out. We call it soul care here, doing that work. And we also know that one of the things that helps a plant grow and become fruitful, especially, is to be part of a cross-pollinating community that uh, will help the church family become more fertile as we do life together. So there's many ways that we can be participants in the work that God's doing in our lives. And there's a scholar, his name's Gordon Fee, and he describes our engagement in God's work 
as active obedience. And I would define obedience this way. Obedience is the participatory choice to trust and live in the parameters of God's love. It's simply admitting this, that God's ways are higher than my ways. They're better than my ways. And God is ultimately in control, and that is good news. It's good news because God is loving, and he always wants the best for us. Jesus said that if we trust his teaching, that our lives would be based on a firm foundation and that his joy would fill us. And that's what I want to look at today. I want to kind of pick and examine the fruit of joy. So if I were to ask you right now, which I, I am going to ask you right now, how would you describe a joyful person? What would a joyful person look like? What are, give me some attributes of a joyful person. Smiling. You can write them in the chat too if you're online. Happy. We got happy and smiling. Anything else? Exuberant. Exuberant. <laughs> Walking with a bounce in their step. Loving. Yeah, there's so many great things, right? Have you ever thought of this? Jesus was the most joyful person to ever live. I think there's so many of us, and especially as we get a little older maybe, that we kind of have this default setting where we think Jesus is very serious or solemn. And maybe he was at times, but Jesus was the most joy-filled person ever. Nobody laughed louder than Jesus. Nobody smiled bigger. Nobody was more enthusiastic in a room than Jesus. There's this actor, his name is Bruce uh, Marciano, and he, he got to act as Jesus in the visual Bible. And so he said this was a bit of an intimidating role to go and, and be Jesus. And for it, he had to memorize the book of Matthew. And so he was praying, and he was reading through the book of Matthew, and he came to this conclusion. The only way I can possibly act as Jesus is if I always start with a posture of joy. And joy is an exceeding and overflowing gladness. It's great to be alive. That is a statement of joy. Who could love life more than the one in whom all life was given? Jesus is the living word. Everything was created through him that has life. Have you ever prayed and asked Jesus what gives him joy? It might surprise you. I want to go to his word this morning. So let's, if you have a Bible or a swipey device, or maybe you can Google Bible Gateway real quick. And uh, let's go to Luke 15, and I want to just read. It's a short parable, and uh, we'll just read it together. Starting in verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, mm, This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. So then Jesus told this parable, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors to gather, uh, together and he says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Let's pray. 
Jesus, we long for you, and we long for your joy. And I pray that you would just open our hearts today to see you in this new light as the most joyful person who ever lived. And I pray that as the good shepherd, we would put our trust in you and that you would put your joy in us. And I just ask this in your name. Amen. So Jesus loved to tell parables. Jesus was a storyteller. I think joyful people love telling stories. Parables are great stories. They're actually stories that test the condition of the soil of a person's heart. Were the listeners hard-hearted? Did they have hard soil and they were unwilling to engage? Or was the soil weedy? There was lots of distractions in it in their lives that would kind of take them off course instead of listening to what he had to say, or, or, or did the people who heard these stories have soft hearts, ready to listen, ready to reflect, and act on the deeper truths of these words that were being planted and germinating in their lives? And notice where Jesus tells this story. He's at a dinner party. He is eating with social outcasts, tax collectors, and sinners. Not the cool people, not the accepted people. They were everyday, ordinary people who were just battling to get by day in and day out. Make no mistake about it. Jesus hung out with people like us. That's good, isn't it? Everyday, ordinary people. And Jesus tells a story in this setting, and, and when he tells this story in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it captures it, and uh, particularly in Matthew, it says that people called him a drunk and a glutton. Sounds like they were having a good time as they were storytelling. Jesus, the joy-filled teacher, he positions himself at this party and he makes himself the center of attention. And he starts telling the story and he tells it in a way that draws everyone in. Imagine you were a shepherd and you had a hundred sheep. And notice the words, he says, suppose one of you. He's saying, put yourself in the story. He's drawing in the crowd. Everyone's leaning in around him. And then he does what every good storyteller does. He throws in a conflict. And one of them has gone missing. Counting sheep is kind of boring, isn't it? I think if you count enough, you might even fall asleep. I think that's what we've been taught. But you can picture yourself in this story. You're dressed a little rugged. You're out in a field. You have a staff in your hand. And sheep are doing what sheep do. They all walk together and stay together and move together. But then all of a sudden, one of them is missing. And it's that moment of frantic panic. Where'd it go? It's probably off in the nearby woods. And in the shadows, that's where the predators hide. What's going to come out of there next? Is it a lion? Is it a bear? And so you're on a mission to go find this sheep. And it's not just a mission. It's a rescue mission. And you have adrenaline pumping through your veins because you're ready to take on that bear or that lion as it's coming out of the woods. And as you go in, then, oh, there's my sheep. I found it. And that moment of fight all of a sudden just disintegrates and joy floods in. You have found your sheep. Praise the Lord. It's okay. And now with that surging amount of adrenaline you have, you have all the strength built up. You're ready. You pick up that little lamb and you put it in the safest place you could put it, up on your shoulders where it's out of harm's way, and you head on home. Oh, church family, this is such good news. 
What brings Jesus joy is pursuing us. It's never leaving us to fend for ourselves. It's his immeasurable love. It's his unfathomable strength embracing us. He's filled with joy. He has a smile on his face. And he asks you today, are you weary and heavy burdened? Come to me. I'm gentle and good. And you'll find rest for your souls. In Jesus, you will find whatever it is that caused you to wander from the flock. And he won't only take your burden from you, he will also lift you up. Jesus finds joy in finding you. And the joy doesn't end there. Look at the text again. He says he joyfully puts the sheep on his shoulders and he goes home and then he calls his friends and his families and he says, rejoice with me. The joy-filled people have any excuse, or sorry, for joy-filled people, any excuse to throw a party is a good excuse. I imagine finding a lost sheep wasn't totally an unexpected part of a shepherd's day. But for the shepherd Jesus, it's a, it's a cause for a celebration. We know that young ones tend to wander off. Parents, you know this, right? We were, I think Brielle was about three years old when we got a call from a hotel front desk. Are you missing one of your children? I don't think so. Look in the next room. Oh, we are. <laughs> Two out of three doesn't work when it comes to children. You can't pass with 66%. <laughs> we were at the park yesterday and a dad lost sight of his kid. And you know that moment, even for a second, when you can't see your kid. Where did they go? What's going on? Jesus, the good shepherd, the joy-filled shepherd, never loses sight of us. He never loses sight of the ones whom we love that have wandered away from their faith. He never loses sight of the people who have never yet met him. He knows them all. He knows them by name. He knows everyone here today. He knows everyone who's watching online. He is so good. But as, as we read our text, there's this other word that jumps out. And again, we kind of default to what we've heard in the past. And we see this word repent, and this tone of turn or burn kind of starts to creep in. But look at Jesus. He's smiling. Little friend, you wandered off, but I found you. Repent means you get to look to Jesus to pick you up, to carry the hurt, to carry the pain, to take the brokenness, the fear, the loneliness, even the unbelief. You bring Jesus joy, and he wants to celebrate you. And then comes the family part. It comes our part. We are the party people. Verse 7 says that there will be more rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents, when one person says, Jesus, I need you to carry me in your arms, than anything else. And in this chapter uh, of the Bible, Jesus tells three stories. And in all three stories, when a lost thing is found or a lost person is found, a party erupts spontaneous overflowing of joy pours out. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book, uh, Unspeakable Joy, he says this, What I am trying to put to you is this. 
I am certain that the world outside is not going to pay much attention to all the organized efforts of the Christian church. The one thing she will pay attention to is a body of people who are filled with the spirit of rejoicing. We are the party people. We are the friends of Jesus who are invited to celebrate. We know the value of life and we embrace it fully. We are the people who have been with Jesus and we know his joy. And we get to bring the best wine to the wedding. We get to see that everyone is included at the dinner table because we're so wonderfully surprised that we were included too. And we're filled with joy because heaven itself parties with us because God knows us by name and he loves us and he pursues us. And it's such great news, we even sing to celebrate it. Uh, not endorsing that Jesus chooses Coke over other... But really, I mean really, he probably would, right? I love that um, clip. I love seeing Jesus in that light. Um, I used to ride the LRT to work every day for two years, and that would cause a stir if someone started laughing like that. It's awesome. He was the most joyful person who ever lived. Did you know that joy is far more contagious than COVID? Oh, God, let us be a people infected with the joy of Jesus. Imagine this, at 3.30 every day, a statement's released on the news about how many people came into contact with the joy of the Lord. You would see it, right? It appears today that the joy R value is 7.5. That means that every person who's infected with this joy makes seven to eight people experience symptoms of gladness and laughter. Oh, I had, uh, I, had I have, I better qualify that, especially if you're watching. My mother is a lady filled with joy. So much joy that at one point she was invited to join the church choir to make it look more exciting and happy. But they asked her to not sing. They said, could you lip sync? Because you can't hit a note. She told her, the joy of the Lord comes as a package and the noises come with it. <laughs> so she never made it onto the choir. How often have we missed the joy of our faith because we've connected this idea that holiness means staunchness. The fruit of the Spirit have another name. They're actually called spiritual graces. They're gifts of God's undeserved favor given to us. And so just for the sake of clarity, uptight and rigid did not make the list for fruit of the Spirit. To live the resurrected life is to be caught up in the wonder, the abundance, the fullness of the eternal joy that is shared between God the Father, Jesus the Son, and Holy Spirit. And we can describe God as joyful the same way we describe God as holy. It's one of his character traits. Again, Gordon Fee writes, The presence or absence of joy is therefore unrelated to one's circumstances. Joy comes out of identity. Joy is Jesus' gift for us. We are made to reflect his joy, and we are made to spread his joy around the world. In the Jesus Storybook Bible, and I have a couple pictures, I think, um, maybe anyway, from uh, it. Uh, it talks about a time written in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that some gift experts came to Jesus. Children were drawn to Jesus 
Now, personally, I have never met a child who wants to run up to a grumpy man they have never met before. But when their parents brought their kids to see Jesus, it said that because the disciples were concerned that Jesus was too tired, they tried to keep the children away as they ran to Jesus. And I love this story, and I have told it many times to my kids at bedtime. And this is the way I like to tell the story. I say, one day, some parents brought their kids to see Jesus. But when they went to see him, some men tried to push them away. And then I start pushing them in their bed. And I bounce them like a basketball on their bed. And there's that kind of sound as they're laughing and trying to breathe. And then I pause and I say, but Jesus said, and the right answer is stop. But they love being pushed. So they say, Jesus said, keep pushing. And then we keep going. And then Rhea stops by and she says, Chris, bedtime stories are to calm them down. <laughs> no, he goes on in the stories and Jesus says, stop. Let the little children come to me. You see, Jesus loves big, 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 tall lampposts. And they'll, no, dad, not lampposts. Big, 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 tall people. Yeah. And Jesus loves little, tiny avocados. No, Dad, not avocados. He loves babies. That's right. And then my favorite part of the story. And Jesus loves you. And then you tickle him again and start bouncing them, and the joy comes out again. Love it. Now, just a little disclaimer here for parents, because I feel pressure when I hear good bedtime stories. 80% of bedtimes that I'm in charge of are all-out prisoners, uh, take-no-prisoner wars that end with weeping and gnashing of teeth on all sides. <laughs> but I am praying my children will remember this story. At Jesus calls them, come to me. And I pray that that's the story they tell their counselors in the future too. <laughs> Here's some good news, parents. Jesus is the perfect parent so we don't have to be. Amen? It's such good news that joy is rooted in the person of Jesus. Yet the older we get, sometimes the harder it is for us to see that joy. And a couple years ago, I was working downtown, as I say, I used to take the train, and, and it was brutal conditions. I believe my boss's motto, he never put this on his wall, but I think his motto, motto was, I'm not happy until you're not happy. We were getting beat up. Staff were being fired. Other staff were quitting. And then I'd go home, and, and our church ministry wasn't getting the traction that we wanted either. And it seemed like we were on borrowed time and that things were always so frail and going to fall apart. And we weren't seeing the fruit that we wanted to see. And so I did what any middle-aged man suffering from depression but in denial about it to his wife would do. I tried to come up with my own solution. I decided I would take my Bible, because I'm such a spiritual person, and I would study every passage of joy. And I did that for almost an entire year. And guess what happened? It didn't make me joyful. In fact, I felt more broken than ever. Why? Because I was focused on the fruit instead of on Jesus. Joy comes from Jesus. It doesn't come from stuff. It doesn't come from success. 
It isn't from effort or striving. It doesn't even come from joy itself. Joy comes from Jesus. He says this in John 15, 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a person remains in me and I in them, they will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Fruit of the Spirit isn't about knowledge. It isn't about our best efforts. It's about a relational experience with Jesus. It's about his life flowing into our life and then that flowing out from us into others. The problem is, the older we get, the worse we become at the game hide-and-go-seek. Let me explain. Little kids and the littlest kids are the best at hide-and-go-seek. The older you get, the worse you get. Think about it. It usually starts this way. The parent will close their eyes and start counting to ten, and the kids scatter into the next room. And what do the littlest kids do when they play hide-and-go-seek? They go right into the middle of the room and cover their eyes. <laughs> or they go, like, on the couch. <laughs> and then, as the parent, you go into the room, and you have to pretend you can't see them. And then, because their eyes are covered, you have to narrate what you're doing so they know that you're looking. And so you go around and you're like, are you here behind this plant? No. Are you here behind the curtains? No. And if you go for long enough, they'll start to say, Dad, I'm over here. Because little kids get it. The most fun part of the game, hide-and-go-seek, is when you're found. That's where the tickling happens. That's where the laughter happens. That's where you roll around on the ground and hug and embrace. But the older we get, the quieter we get. And the better and more secretive our hiding places become. And the longer the game takes before we get found. And it's funny because there's less laughter and eventually we stop playing the game as we get older. And this is true of all people, represented by the first couple in Scripture, Adam and Eve. They, they modeled this for us. They, they ran and hid, and they covered themselves with leaves. And we keep doing this all the time. We fall short of God's best. We, we run and we hide from Him, and He calls out, Where are you? As if He doesn't know. But He does. And we come back and we say, God, I felt I knew better than you. And now I feel guilt or I feel shame. I wasn't sure you cared for me. I wasn't sure your, your love was big enough to cover this sin. Or maybe this problem, it's a pandemic. That means the whole world, God, are you big enough for this? And so I hid. And oh, church family, this is when the joyful shepherd comes. And he tells us, I would love to take that pain that hurt from you. My forgiveness is always enough. Nothing is impossible or too big for me. Let me pick you up. Let me carry you back to the party. Come, my joy awaits. I am delighted that you belong to me. See, we can pursue the one who gives joy because he first pursues us. And one way that I've learned to cultivate looking for Jesus in my life, in fact, this was what helped have the sun break through the clouds of depression when I was going through it a couple years ago. It was a technique I actually learned from Rhea, but I didn't tell her at the time because I was hiding. I didn't even want to mention it. 
But I started writing down one thing every day that I was thankful for. And I start most days like this still today. I just simply write down a line, and it goes like this. Good morning, Dad. I love to call Heavenly Father Dad. Good morning, Dad. I'm so thankful this morning I get to talk about your son, Jesus. That was today. Or maybe it's something as simple as, Good morning, Dad. I'm so thankful I survived yesterday, and today is a new day. Whatever it is, just write down one thing that I'm thankful for. What are some of the things you are thankful for today? Shout, shout some out. And kids, you have a joy journal you've been working on. What are some of the things that give you joy? Shout those out so we can hear them. Potatoes. They give me joy too, especially if they're deep fried. <laughs> Dinosaurs. Animals. Family. See, they're good at this. <laughs> How about some of the older people? <laughs> what are you thankful for? Church services. I love that. that was a... Yeah, there's so much to be thankful for. And thankfulness helps prepare the soil of our hearts to receive joy. And just a, a quick thing. This is fun for life groups too. Uh, one of the best things you can practice is when you first get together, just say, what, how has God shown us grace this week? And it, and it doesn't take long, if you do this kind of continually, that after a couple weeks, everybody sees how God has been at work in their life all the time. And it is so encouraging. It cultivates our hearts to be filled with joy as we focus on Jesus and everything he's done for us. Another way we can cultivate our hearts to receive joy and this will be the close to the sermon, is to come to the communion table. And so if you have your communion, we used to call these snack packs. I don't know what we call them now, but it's a nice COVID-friendly way of having communion. The communion table, the Eucharist, is a celebration. This is the time where we get to pick the fruit of the vine, and we get to taste our faith. And we're all invited this morning to come and taste and see that Jesus is good. And we start with the bread. It's this little wafer thing. And it's a symbol of repentance. Jesus is offering to us today. And we can all take it. And when we take it, this is what we're saying. We're saying, Jesus, I'm exchanging my sins for your perfection. I'm giving my, my sickness for your health. I'm giving my hurts, my sadness for your joy. And he wants to take it, and he'll take all of you. It brings Jesus' joy to pursue us. If you want the good shepherd to lift you up on your arms, let's eat the bread together. Now the cup, I'm going to try to open this without spilling it all over. The fruit of the vine... It represents Jesus' blood poured out for us, the new covenant. It also represents his life poured into us as we drink it. And it includes his joy coming into us. And Jesus has a message for you this morning. And as I was praying, he put this so clear on my heart and on the team's heart as we were planning this. And this is Jesus' message for you. You are wanted. 
you are wanted here this morning. You are wanted if you're watching online. Would you turn to the person beside you and just say, Jesus wants you. I mean, if you're socially distant on your own, say, I am wanted. <laughs> this is the celebration of the cup. Let's drink to his joy. Thank you for tuning into our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at spaconline.com. Grace and peace.